TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And joining us now is an executive producer of the A&E series, I Survived a Crime, which is on Wednesday nights, 10, 9 central. So that would be right about now. Michael Bryant, how are you? Hey, uh, pretty good, Ryan. I'm watching the show called I Survived a Crime. It's on A&E right now. So, uh, you know, it's, what a coincidence. <laughs> you have it on it's crazy. in the background. Well, you've seen of the course. show, I'm guessing, as executive producer. You've seen this one. Yeah, well, I, I have short attention span and short-term memory loss, so I watch it again. It's like I saw it never uh, before. It's it's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that something? You pick up something new on it, and you think, oh, yeah, I remember liking this one. Oh, yeah, because I've seen That's it. That's right. You're uh, exactly right. It's because we've done over, let's see, 20-plus episodes times, da, 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 you know, 140 different survivor stories. And so, wow. you know, sometimes I'll be watching and go, oh, yeah, that one. I remember that. Yeah. So tell me some of these different stories. How, what kind of range of stories do you cover on I Survived a Crime on A&E? Oh, my gosh. Uh, one of the, the specials we're doing tonight is called Get Out of My House, and it's all about home invasions. And they vary from uh, there's a, a, a shootout at a model's home. It's called what's that site called? Is it called OnlyFans? All fans? OnlyFans? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, like, it's like um, people post videos of themselves and. Yeah, you know, creepy yeah, men yeah, pay money to see women do things on them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, she was one of those people, and some folks broke into her house in Miami, and her kid was there, and they shot up the place. And, uh, you know, she was, um, you know, I don't know if she was performing, but she was in the, uh, the bedroom at the time, and it was quite disruptive uh, to her and her husband and her family. So that was kind of kind of wild. And some of them are, are, you know, more what I'd call quote, normal, where you don't think it would happen to you or your family. There's a guy who's uh, kind of on a farm out in an outlying urban area or rural area. And this guy who's a neighbor, for whatever reason, picks up a shovel, first breaks a few windows on the guy's truck in the front yard, and then uses the shovel to try to break in the house and get in the house where his wife and his two little girls are, you know, and they're, they're, mm. they're freaking out. Um, so, and, and because he had all the surveillance equipment we see you know the action we see his little girls who are told hey you gotta you know, somebody's trying to break in the house you gotta crawl out your bedroom window you gotta run across the yard you gotta go to the barn and you know we see that unfold like we're watching a, a movie but it is a frighteningly real experience do you help solve crimes or are all the different cases by this point resolved 
No, we don't. Uh, we haven't taken it to that level um, in terms of, you know, getting kind of proactive with uh, kind of a, America's most wanted. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the, I'd say it's about 50-50 crimes that have been solved versus pending cases. And the fact is, as we look into more and more of the surveillance tape and people's cell phone usage and ring doorbell cameras, uh, you know, the fresh, newer stuff is not only better quality visually, but is, uh, is uh, some of the more exciting stuff. And that stuff, you know, takes a while to work its way through the process. So if the suspects have been caught, quite often they're just, uh, you know, waiting for trial or waiting for some other resolution. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of say this tongue in cheek, but at the same time, not really. But you know how the television series CSI has different branches in different cities. You could almost do a <laughs> I Survived a Crime St. Louis edition as an entire series by itself because we hear every single day in the news something terrible happening. And it's just like that. It's, it's Even if it's more documented, here's what the survivor's take is on the crime that was committed. And it, it's one thing. But I think whenever you hear these type of stories, the first thing that comes to mind is what would I do in a scenario like that? And it's like every single day we're hearing a new story where you wondered to yourself what you would do in a situation like that. Yeah, I mean, that's really the genesis of the show. I was you know, sitting around with a couple of producing partners, and I'm sure there was an adult beverage involved somehow. And we were just, you know, making notes, thinking about stories, and, and having that conversation. I said, that's a show, you know, because nobody gets up in the morning and says, hmm, I wonder how I'll handle that, uh, you know, gun in my face today, or that uh, the person tries to mug me on the bus, or uh, uh, someone wants to break into my house, and my kids and my, my family are in there. Nobody thinks that stuff through. But when you see it happen to somebody else and you see how they handled it, you say, wow, you know, number one, I wonder if I could have done that. But number two, you know, maybe there's hope. Maybe, you know, I saw how they did it. They survived. They used their their smarts and maybe their fists. Um, And hopefully I could do the same to protect myself or my family. Do you find that in a lot of cases people think they're prepared for something to happen and then when it actually does happen, they have no preparation and it's, it's almost like a, a, it's like a blank slate and your instincts just kick in? Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, a couple of the catch words or phrases we heard so often was adrenaline. I just reacted. Uh, you know, I, I had no idea I could do what I needed to do. So I don't get the feeling any of these folks have ever thought it through, had a clue what they would do if they were confronted in, in one of these ways. And they just did. I mean, some people would literally fight back. I mean, they would have a physical altercation. Uh, and this is where I say disclaimer, of course, we don't recommend that you do that. Um, mm-hmm. But other people would just, you know, survive, do what they were told to do, you know? Um, so it's not, it's not like we're suggesting anybody actually fight back if that's not their, their nature. Uh, there are other ways to survive. Yeah, I, there's that one quote that goes around in meme form a lot from Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, which is <laughs> true to a lot of different people's takes. And it's scary if you have a family, you think about what would happen if they came after your wife, your kids, or what happens if they try to break into your house? What happens if you're out on 70 here in St. Louis and there's a rolling gun battle or what happens if you're going to a game and someone tries to mug you or whatever it is? There's some pretty serious crimes that happen on a day to day basis that get a lot of people nervous and they try to prepare the best they can. But you never really know how you're going to react in case that happens. And you pray every single night that you don't have to find out. Exactly. And, you know, I think by seeing some of these stories, it's, you know, it's not intended as a any sort of tutorial or 
educational programming, but you can learn from how people handled situations that, you know, heaven forbid you someday find yourself in. I was going last night to, uh, I'm here in the New York area, but I'm from the Bay Area in San Francisco, big Giants fan. So I was driving down to Philadelphia to watch the San Francisco Giants play the Phillies, beat them last night, 10 to seven. And on the way, um, I also, I'm also a host on, uh, on Dan, Dan uh, Abrams' Law and Crime Network, so we do a lot of live trial coverage. I've been covering the Chauvin trial for the last few weeks. So on the way down there, they announced the verdict. And one of the things that crossed my mind, because Philly has seen some, some uh, problems, some civil unrest ever since May of last year when George Floyd was killed, uh, my thought was, you know, we're, we're going into an area that has seen some, you know, problems and the ballpark is kind of adjacent to one of the rougher parts of town it crossed my mind that i'm trying to just go to a baseball game mm-hmm. man do you mind holding on after the break uh, there's some instances i want to ask you about and i'm always curious about the people you reach out to that are just too uh, their life is completely changed after this and it's too hard to discuss so i'm curious about instances like that and how you handle it so right now by the way if, if people were to turn on a and e are you still watching your own show yes Yes, right now you will see an episode. It was a guy who was was at home. Three invaders came into his house, and he's fighting them off because his wife upstairs, who's recovering from cancer, you know, is the motivation for him to just get them out of his house. And it's one against three. So wow, it's wild. All right, the show is called "I Survived a Crime." It's on A and E. You get back to back episodes like tonight. So what's nice is if you want to go watch it, you can. And it's on Wednesday nights, uh, ten o'clock Eastern, nine o'clock Central. We'll continue with the executive producer of the series, Michael Bryant, right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis KMOX. Welcome back on A and E. If you just happen to have a TV there while you're listening to the radio, this would be a good one to record and watch on Wednesday nights or if you're just uh, sitting around. It's called I Survive a Crime. And executive producer of the A&E series, Michael Bryant, joins us uh, again. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Oh, appreciate it. Before I forget, I just got to say how cool the arch is. I went up in there a couple of years ago when I was, mm-hmm. uh, I was on a little road trip from California, stopped to watch a baseball game, went up in the arch. Never had imagined that kind of space up in there, which I'm sure you hear all the time. Um, but it was it was so cool to take that little conveyance up into that uh, that deal. Yeah, it's cool. cool landmark. Yeah, I don't think you recognize this until you've been to the top of the arch. But every single time I look at it now, I try to look for the windows at the top. It's like, am I yeah, close enough to yeah. see the windows? Yeah, yeah I mean, I say, <laughs> how can I get fit up there? And there's it's it's downright roomy. It's bigger than my first apartment. It's pretty good size up there. Yeah, no kidding. And the egg that you take up to the top may be a little cramped, but oh, yeah. by the time you get up there, yeah. it's a pretty cool that's, experience. It's one of those deals where they say. Uh, are you claustrophobic? Ah, nah, I'm good. I'm fine. And then you get in there and you're just, you know, hoping it's over soon because it is yeah. a little, little tight. <laughs> the, well, I wanted to ask you about how you find some of the different subjects and the people that want to talk about the crimes that were committed and the crimes they survived. Cause I'm guessing that in some cases, if you're reaching out or you're trying to find people for the show that some of them are just, it's too difficult for them to talk about what they went through. And then there's some that are more than willing to give you every detail. Yeah, you're right. And, and luckily it's more of the latter than the former because the, they might not have a show, but a lot of folks basically say, you know, this is uh, one of the worst experiences of my life. Thanks, but no, thanks. I don't want to relive that, you know? Um, and I can think of one. It was a it was a, a pot store out in the Northwest, 
and some guys busted in uh, at gunpoint and tried to rob the clerk who grabbed a can of bear mace and just blasted these guys and 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 and, and shoot them out of the you know store. He he survived and he prevented this robbery, but he couldn't talk about it. He was you know he was uh, in therapy. He couldn't work anymore in the store. It was so traumatic he could not go on camera to talk about it. On the other hand, as you suggest, there are people that, that find it you know, either, you know, cathartic, or they also see it as an opportunity to, to help other people who might have similar traumas. And we saw that a lot with domestic violence stuff. We've, we've had a few cases of domestic violence where they really felt like, you know, this is my chance to tell my story, uh, show others that might have suffered the same kind of crime, and it is a crime, that they too can survive. And, and they've used it as kind of a, you know, kind of a, a, a pedestal for their own perspective so we've seen it all yeah when you talk to some of the victims is it an is it often to hear something along the lines of i didn't know if i was going to make it out alive do they all feel that way these types of crimes that have been committed against them yeah I mean, that's a phrase uh, i thought i was going to die i thought i'd never see my family again um i mean that's the kind of you know mindset that motivates these people to survive uh and, and yeah and it's it's gut-wrenching Again, uh, you know, as you suggest, uh, Ryan, you're like, okay, what could I do that? And, and we see that in so many different crimes and so many different scenarios. It's it's not just the stick up at the convenience store. You know, there are so many different things going on that that people in good old regular day, uh, you know, going to work, going to school, that, that these things happen. Yeah, this might be a weird comparison, but sometimes they say if you've been struck by lightning, somehow the odds of you getting struck a second time is higher than those that haven't been struck before. So, do you ever talk to people that have been victims multiple times? You know, when we started talking to some of these folks, we were always amazed at the things we learned about the backstory. Because part of what we wanted to do was go beyond, you know, yes, there are clips. Obviously, they're kind of the jumping off point for these stories. But it's the story that is fascinating. And I'll give you one very simple example. You may remember because it was a huge uh, story when it happened. There was a, a waitress in Savannah. Customer uh, walked by her on his way out of the restaurant, and he cupped her buttocks, you know, just gave mm. her a, a squeeze. Yeah. And she turned around and just threw him to the ground and stood over him, you know, kind of a finger-wagging moment, like, don't you uh, and touch me, and the cops came, hauled him away. When we're doing the interview, we learned that she had been raped as a oh, young wow. woman. And so, and she had been molested in a second event of some sort. So all of that was triggered by this guy. And, you know, I'm not trying to minimize what he did, but it it was far less severe than being raped. And yet it triggered that kind of emotion from her. So we saw that many times that the backstory, the lives of these folks came to the surface because of these events. Yeah, I'm always interested in the the different path that people take in life and when you hear about the backstory like that some may be more inclined to have that you know i don't want to say ruin their lives but it, it changes them they become very timid and but then some on the other side they go and they become very proactive and it's almost like now that they've experienced that they're not putting up with it so they're much more aggressive when someone tries to commit a crime against them it's amazing how there's all these different paths that people can take in their lives based on the experiences they have and everyone reacts to them differently yeah, and we've seen, unfortunately, the other end of the spectrum where I can think of a uh, an armored tr- truck driver, a woman, who was accosted by three men. She was coming out of the bank with just uh, her coins, you know, for the day, putting them in the truck, and they, you know, they 
they jumped her, held a gun to her head, and, and she just broke down and uh, you know said she thought she was going to be executed. Um, and she never worked there again, and she she's suffering some severe post-traumatic stress uh, and, and, you know, almost destroyed her family. So uh, we're hoping she bounces back. She seemed to be on the road to recovery, but it was such a traumatic event that uh, her life will never be the same. So on A&E, I survived a crime. Do you ever talk to people that are high profile so they somehow had their story told on a national scale things like that you know we we tossed that idea around and decided not to and to be honest we didn't want that to be a distraction you know uh i'm sure you could do a uh, i survived a crime celebrity version um but mm. you know we just felt like this was to connect to the audience as just reg- these are regular folks you start throwing high profile people in there and then maybe that skews the story to be about, you know, I'm famous and people come after me anyway. Well, I'm not famous. I'm sitting on my couch. Nobody's coming after Mm -hmm. me. So we felt that good old regular folks could better connect with our audience. Right. So people want to check it out. It's on Wednesday nights. And hey, how about that? It is Wednesday night on A&E. I survived a crime. So is it always going to have back-to-back episodes or is that just sometimes you get the back-to-back? No, that's kind of an A&E thing. So they're doing that, uh, uh, and they've been doing it for quite a while, so I don't know of any change in the works. That's pretty neat. And you have it on in the background right now. Do you ever, like, catch mistakes after the fact and say, oh, I can't believe we we missed that? Yep. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> uh, but then you have to realize that since I've seen it, you know, 82 times and, and you know, slow motion like this Zapruder film, forward and back, uh, most people aren't going to catch it. But it does, you know, in this biz, as you know, you know, you, you want to do the best you can and you miss something and it annoys you. I know, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it it stings. Yeah. You go, ooh, let's hope no one caught that. And the part yeah. is you got to try to fix it in case it re-airs. I don't know if you get to do that or not on a network scale or if it's when it's done, it's done. <laughs> well, if it's bad enough, you know, if it's something that is, uh, you know, more than just a simple structural thing, uh, yeah, they, there will be a fix, yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, A&E, of course, you can look this up online, too. I Survived a Crime Wednesday nights starting at 10, 9 central here in St. Louis, 9 o'clock on A&E. And executive producer of the series, Michael Bryant, thank you for coming on to discuss tonight on Overnight America. Hey, I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you. And come back to St. Louis. The arch has been renovated. I think you'll like to see it again. There's all really they, nice they put in uh, they put in bunk beds or they did a little something to it. There. Just about yeah. No, you're still going up in that small egg, but they did the whole museum over, and you don't have to go through the interstate in order to get it. They built a big walkway with uh, you know grass and everything, so it's really easy to get over there now. Cool. Okay. Well, I always like baseball. It's a nice a twofer to do the arch and a little baseball. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you, Michael. Have a great night. That is uh, you too, man. Michael Bryant, executive producer on the A&E series, I Survived a Crime. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll take a look at your weather. And I, there's another guest that we're going to be having who wrote a book called How I Lost My Mind and Found Myself, Racing the Stigma Surrounding Mental Health and Some of the Different Stories He's Experienced. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. 
Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Get the inside story on what's happening with your St. Louis Cardinals this season directly from the Redbirds manager. It's the Mike Schilt Show, Sunday mornings at 10.15, sponsored by Bath Fitter, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. He's the author of How I Lost My Mind and Found Myself, Erasing Some of the Stigma That Surrounds Mental Health. David Rabati, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm having a candid conversation about mental health and learning more about it. There has been this sort of um, relief of the stigma. It seems like more people are able to talk about some of the different issues that they've had. There was a time, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it is, that there were really a big barrier where people were afraid. But it seems like now it's it's something that people are taking more seriously and understand the real issue and the drain that it is on people that they're more inclined to be sympathetic to it as opposed to laugh at it. So, I mean, it's come a long way, it seems like, over the past uh, 10, 15 years. Yes, I agree with you. But actually, I was diagnosed 12 years ago, and even 12 years ago, I still felt shame and I was embarrassed about having bipolar disorder, and I was very angry. So... I felt that stigma for a long time and that shame for a very long time before I was even able to be comfortable to talk about it. And I speak for NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Health, and that has really given me a platform to be confident in myself because when we think of mental illness, automatically people think, oh, someone's crazy. Or sometimes the way the media centralizes uh, people with mental illness or view them in a light that's really not true to what the condition really is. So I'm so happy that it's become more of a topic and people want to understand more and everything that's happening in the world. Um, people are realizing that we need to do a lot more research and figure out better ways to deal with mental illness. Yeah, do you think um, finding more people that are going through the same things you're going through that really helped you open up about what you're going through? Well, when I was diagnosed, I was, but my therapist had said, why don't you go to a NAMI workshop and just listen to other people with the illness and hear them speak. And I heard a guy, Michael, speak. And for the first time, when I heard him speak, I felt hope. And I felt like there could be a productive life out there for me because I was really in a dark place. And when he was just talking about his life and talking about being 10 years in recovery and with no psychotic episodes and having a career and starting a family, it gave me hope that I too could have that because I was very, um, I was, I was very uncertain with what the future would hold for me having bipolar disorder. And I learned that I needed to be on medication to live a productive life. And if I'm off of medication, that's a problem because I can, I have bipolar one disorder and that's like features of, it's like features of schizophrenia, but I don't have schizophrenia, but I would have like paranoid thinking or delusional thoughts. So 
um, it took it took quite quite a while for me to realize that this is an illness that I need to have medication for to alter my moods, and it's just something I have to do for the rest of my life. And um, I kind of my sister told me because I was angry, like I felt like a prisoner almost, like I had to take my medicine. So if I go out sometimes or if I'm going to be at a friend's house late, I have to come back home because I'm like, oh, I, I didn't bring my medicine with me. So I would feel like, oh, this medicine um, was a bit kind of, um, I guess it was annoying for me to have hmm. to take medicine. But my sister said to me, she goes, David, why don't you view your medicine as vitamins? People take vitamins because it helps them. This medicine helps you. And when she said that, I thought, wow, I should really look at it that way. Like, it's helping me be productive. Why should I be upset? Do I want to be scattered and out of touch with reality? Or do I want to be productive and in reality and living my life? So Mm -hmm. it just feels good. And, you know, I'm on, like, this mission now. I want to make mental illness look so good that everyone wants it. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I just want people to feel like, oh, you got bipolar, oh, yeah, you got schizophrenia, okay, that's good. You're on your meds. Because for a long time, and, I, like, I've met some people that would tell me things like, no one needs to know that you have bipolar disorder. It's not a no one's business. And that used to upset me because I felt like, why do I have to feel the shame or hide this? It's a part of me. It's, it's a, it, it doesn't define me, but it's a part of me. It's a part of a condition, a disease that I have, and I need treatment. And I remember my parents, they're both uh, diabetics. And I saw my mom taking her insulin shot, and I started to realize she's not embarrassed for taking her medication. She has, a, she has a sh- problems with sugar, right? It either goes up or down. So she needs insulin to balance it out. So I felt like, why should I be ashamed of taking a pill that balances my mood out? Like, it's helping me. And it's a no-fault illness. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I did something to get this and I feel bad about it. I was born with this. And I... It's interesting. I I was going to say, you mentioned your parents there. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 30. And the interesting thing is, yes, so I was 30 years old, and I lived with bipolar disorder, but I had no idea I had bipolar disorder because it was bipolar 2. And bipolar 2, the difference between bipolar 2 and bipolar 1 is, as I said, bipolar 1 has features of schizophrenia. Bipolar 2 is just you have weeks of energy and then weeks of low energy, but you don't have delusional thinking. You can do a hundred things at one time. You're very productive. You're like the life of the party. And for many years, I lived that way. I had, and I thought everyone experienced what I was experiencing mood, like, you know, moods of energy and then no energy. And it wasn't until I went to a doctor and I wanted to lose 10 pounds. So the doctor prescribes Adderall to me. Now, he doesn't know I have bipolar disorder. I don't know I have bipolar disorder. And Adderall is the worst drug you can give someone that is bipolar because it worsens their condition. And there's something called Adderall psychosis, and that's what happened with me. Mm. So 
I was angry for a long time at the doctor. I was angry at myself. I was like, I should have educated myself. I thought it was just an appetite suppressant. I didn't know that it was for people that have ADD. If I would have known that it was a psych medicine and side effects are psychosis, I would have never taken it. And the interesting thing is, is I came... I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but three days before I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I came out of the closet. So I came out of the closet, and three days later I'm diagnosed, and I was in a psychotic episode. So I was, I had delusional thoughts. I felt like I had my own reality show, and everyone was watching, and they're just hyping it up and being um, dramatic, these doctors, and there were cameras hidden, and like my mind was so scattered. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so your book, by the way, How I Lost My Mind and Found Myself, uh, talking about some of the uh, stigma that needs to be erased surrounding mental health and author of that book, David Rabati, joining us on Overnight America. If I can ask you about some of the different things that you've mentioned there, um, I'm curious about, you said psychosis and some of the delusional thoughts, things like that. When you were experiencing those things, did you know you were experiencing those things or did it, did it just alter your reality so much that you had no idea what was going on? I knew what was going on, but I didn't know I was in a delusional state of mind because my thinking was I'm being filmed and I have my own reality show and like all of America is watching. So I just thought I was being filmed all the time. So I would act out, but I even walked on the cross County Parkway in Westchester and a cop like pulls me over because I'm on the highway walking on the divided line between the lanes. Hmm. And the officer's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm walking. He goes, where are you walking to? I'm like, New Rock City. He goes, you can't just walk to New Rock City. So he stopped the car. Then officers came out of nowhere. Channel 12 News was there. Hmm. And they put me in handcuffs and sent me to the psych ward. So hmm. I'm, I'm aware of what's happening, but I thought I was being filmed for a show. So I thought this was all um, make-believe, but I was really out of touch with reality because I just, the reality was I was not on a reality wow. show. And um, well, This was before this was, you were diagnosed or was this after? This was three days before I was diagnosed. Wow. So that trip, did that trip help? Like, uh, was there a mental health professional there that was able to help you diagnose? Is that what led to it? Well, they, the, when they when the cops put me in handcuffs, they sent me to Valhalla Medical Center. So I was being evaluated. So they put me in the psych ward for three days. And they're like, David, you know, you have bipolar disorder and you need to take your medication. I was in denial. I was like, oh, they're just making this up for TV rating. And then like wow. three weeks later, the chemical imbalance in my brain balanced out. And I realized, oh, my God, I was just hallucinating for almost a month. Wow. Like almost for a full month, I was out of touch with reality, thinking I'm being filmed. And the irony is that I came out of the closet, though. I was able to live my truth. And then my parents were like, oh, he's really not gay. He's just, it's his mental illness that makes him think that. So I had to, again, in reality, come out again. Like, no, this is my life. This is my truth. But I was in denial that I had bipolar disorder. And it wasn't until two years later, I had another psychotic episode, not taking any kind of medication. And that scared the wits out of me. 
Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize I need to take this medication because I don't want to hallucinate again because it disrupts your life. Like you, a lot of people that have bipolar one disorder, it's like their career is at stake, their family life, their social life. Um, a lot of things, you know, get, it, it becomes like, you know, when you, it's like a, you want to be productive and live a life and do what's right. But when you have these delusional thinking and it alters your perception, it ruins relationships with people sometimes and Mm -hmm. how you act out. Everyone is different. The disease manifests itself and everyone has different side effects. Like I wasn't dangerous at all. I wasn't violent. I didn't try to cause trouble. You know what I mean? And yeah. that, and that was a, a lot, that was a lot of the stigma because I felt like people are going to view me as a crazy person. And I wasn't crazy. Like I wasn't um, doing anything that was violent or harming anyone. And it, that would bother me because I would often read about, Oh, this person has bipolar disorder and, they're destructive and uh, they need help because they're crazy. And that really, really, really bothered me. And then when I started going to NAMI more and I started speaking for them and I started to meet other people with mental health issues, I started to realize one, this is not something I realized, but I was informed one out of every five Americans have some sort of mental illness Hmm. or have experienced some type of mental health issues. Wow, that's people a lot. With mental illness, people with mental illness are nine times out of ten more likely to be a victim. So when I started to find this information out and I started to feel like, what could I do? I wanted to share my story and fight the stigma. And there's two stigmas that I'm fighting because I'm Middle Eastern and gay, and that's very taboo. And I was always taught that it was, like, very shameful or an embarrassment or a disgrace to be gay. And then I had to deal with that and then deal with the stigma of having mental illness. And it just, it's so rewarding that I could live my truth and be who I am and not feel shame for any of it because it's, it's a no fault illness and I was born this way. So I, I just, I want to encourage people when I, when I go to universities and I share my story, with the kid, with the college students, it's always interesting to me because they come to me at the end of my presentation and they're like, "Could I speak to you privately?" And they want to talk because they feel like some of the symptoms I talk about that they seem to to be experiencing the same thing, and they want to know if they think they should get an assessment or not by a doctor. And I'm like, "Yes, of course. If you're feeling this way, the best." The, you know how they say um, what cancer treatment is to it's when you catch it in the beginning, like mm-hmm. when you know early detection, symptoms, yeah. early detection. So that's the same thing with um, this mental illness. Like the mm-hmm. more you, you know about yourself and the, the quicker you get an evaluation, you're better off at learning to control the disorder that you may have rather than waiting for months or years and it gets worse. And a lot of people self-medicate with alcohol Mm -hmm. or drugs. Mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate. I never 
like I've never had a problem with alcohol and I don't do drugs, but I take mm-hmm. medication now. So, um, well, you know, just for the for the sake of time, I want to make sure people know ways they can find your book, uh, How I Lost My Mind and Found Myself or look you up online. What's a good website? Uh, DavidRabati.com. So David, D-A-V-I-D, and Rabati's R for Rabbit, A for Apple, B for Boy, A for Apple, D for David, I for Ice.com. And my book, in, my book can be purchased on BarnesandNoble.com and Amazon as well. Great. So originally we were going to have you for two segments, and I just realized this next break is pretty long, and we've gone long. So we're going to just spend maybe another minute here, and then we'll have to uh, wrap up. But I, I got to say, learning about some of the different experiences you've had and you know the thoughts and the, what led to it, I know that there's probably people listening right now that have family members in inside of their own family or brothers or sisters or cousins or things that they can start to recognize some of these things. And it sounds like a big part of this is the support system that's built up around it and letting them know that uh, through that support that there are things you can do and trying to help them get through it is a pretty big deal. It, it sounds like you found out some of these things accidentally. You know, you, you didn't know and you're getting medication that made it worse at the time. And then it led to you finding out it's a, there's all kinds of different paths that people take. And it's fascinating to hear your story. And I'm, you know, or trying to erase this stigma around mental health, getting the help should be the ultimate goal and to be able to live a productive and uh, li- a nice life after that, without having to worry about all of the, uh, the things that go on with it being undiagnosed. It's so interesting to hear things like that. Uh, again, one more time, How I Lost My Mind and Found Myself. If people wanted to uh, find that book, they said, you just go to your website, davidrabadi.com, R-A-B-A-D-I, and uh, look online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, places like that. Thank you so much, David, for spending some time with us tonight on KMOX. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It was a pleasure. His story. Thank you, Bob. Joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Here we are in Overnight America, and the show is about halfway there. Oh, living on a prayer. That's been a long time since I've listened to Bon Jovi. I probably sound like the same level, right? And I haven't listened to him lately, but I don't know. Can he still sing? Next hour, uh, we're going to take a look at your news, your weather. And yeah, there's a freeze warning through the overnight, but things are going to get a little bit better here. But more chances of rain. A little bummed out. We have some friends coming in from out of town. And we wanted to go to the zoo, but we don't know if it's going to be raining when we're there. And you have to go online ahead of time and sign up because the limited amount of people mean that you need to tell them you're coming. So you can't. Ju- it's so weird. So we had to like guess, please, there, please let there be a, at least one day we can go. So we're going to get a look at that weather coming up in a moment. And also we're going to talk to the author of The Primal Method, a book for emerging men. Real interesting. Look, why are there so many young men picking up guns and committing crimes? We'll ask that next on Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.